Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest presents part seven of the series, Tools of Prayer for America. We are a church growing and thriving, overflowing with love, strengthening the family, transforming the community, impacting the world, where every member is a minister and a church alive is worth the drive. All right, amen, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, we've been talking about tools of prayer for America. We took a week off last week because of the hurricane, which became a storm, which became a tropical depression, which went from a five to a zero because of the prayers of the saints. Amen. So we're getting back in gear this week. Tools of prayer for America, part seven. And for those who might have missed some of the sessions, I encourage you to go to our podcast and listen to the series in its entirety or pick up any sessions you might have missed, especially the first episode. The whole reason we started this series is because of a dream I had in New Orleans when Trisha and I were visiting our middle daughter, Alicia. And in that dream, the Lord asked me to do three things. Number one, issue a call to prayer for America. Number two, honor the prayers of our forefathers, especially those of President Abraham Lincoln. And number three, issue tools of prayer that Christians can use to pray more powerfully and more effectively for America. And I remember when I woke up from the dream, I had such a sense of urgency. I asked the Lord, why the sense of urgency? And this is what I heard in my spirit. Jesus is the light of the world, but America is the conveyor of that light to the nations. As America goes, so goes the world. Therefore, pray for America. Amen. So it was a divine commission. And I pray that these podcasts get out there far and wide. I just checked the stats yesterday. A lot of new listeners from uh, New York and Pennsylvania, all over the states, and even as far away as New Zealand. So the word is getting out and people are praying for America. Amen. People are learning to use the tools of prayer that we've been putting out in this series. Amen. Well, in case you haven't noticed, there is a darkness that threatens to overtake us as a nation. And in order to push back that darkness, we need to pray that righteousness, truth, and justice prevail in our nation. If you want to take the politics out of it, that's the quickest way to cut to the chase. Pray that righteousness, truth, and justice prevail, and you can't go wrong. Amen? Pray that it prevail in every sphere of influence, in every city, in every state, in every territory, in every election, whether local, state, or federal, especially this upcoming midterm election. Amen? Christians, it is your duty to set politics aside and pray that righteousness, truth, and justice prevail in our nation. And it is your duty to vote accordingly. Amen? If we will pray for and vote for righteousness to prevail in our nation, it will allow God to implement his agenda for our nation. I don't want a political solution. I want a righteousness solution. I want a God solution. So I support God's agenda. So if you pray for and vote for righteousness, truth and justice to prevail in America, then God can implement his agenda for our nation. Amen. So getting back to the dream, 
In the dream, it was kind of bizarre. The Lord gave me a giant toolbox. It was about, I don't know, looked like it weighed about 400 pounds, but somehow or another I was able to hold it up in the dream. And I balanced it on a wooden bench that was long and narrow, crossways in such a way that it made a cross. And then I opened up the lid of the tools to be issued to the thousands of people that I was addressing in this call to prayer. And I know that I haven't mentioned this in a couple of sessions, but the reason I believe the sign of the cross was made, it was a symbol, it was a metaphor that let me know that all the tools of prayer that we use have to be rooted and grounded at the foot of the cross in the finished work of Jesus Christ, what he did for us in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Amen. So all these tools are based and rooted in the work of the cross, the finished work of the cross. Amen. Hallelujah. The six specific areas of prayer that the Holy Spirit stirred my heart to lay out there for the nation and for the believers were binding and loosing, prayer of agreement, the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, fasting in prayer, and then spirit-led prayer. Now, as I said before, you can use these tools to pray for yourselves, your families, and your fellow saints. There's nothing wrong with that. But our focus in this series is to use these prayer tools to be better prepared to pray for America. Hallelujah. So far, we've discussed the prayer of binding and loosing, the prayer of agreement, the name of Jesus, and the blood of Jesus. This morning, we're going to talk about fasting and prayer. In case you didn't know what fasting means, it means going without food. Amen. So fasting is not always a fun thing to talk about because, you know, I like food just as much as the next guy, you know. Fasting and prayer coupled together can be a very effective way to enhance and empower your prayer life. Now, although we don't have time for an exhaustive study of fasting, I think I can cover enough today to get you started down the road to making fasting a regular part of your life. So the number one thing right off the bat that I want to talk about is the fact that fasting will help you deal with unbelief in your life. Let me say that again. The number one thing fasting will do for you is fasting will help you deal with the presence of unbelief in your heart. Amen. Let's read it in the scriptures. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14 through 21 in the New King James Version. Amen. Follow along with me because this is awesome. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, 
If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Did you get that? Amen. Unbelief was the issue. Fasting was the answer. Amen. So there's some things we can learn from this passage. Some awesome things. Number one, I want to make it real clear. Jesus was not saying that there's a category of demon called a fasting and prayer demon. And when you encounter that demon, you have to back up, go back to your prayer closet, do some more praying and fasting, and then come cast the devil out. He was not saying that. If you know what happened before this, you know that Jesus and Peter, James and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were in the presence of God. And Jesus transfigured and became the righteous one, the holy one, right in the presence of his three disciples. Jesus was always prayed up and Jesus was always fasting. He lived a fasted life. Okay. The point is, he was saying, listen, if you don't live a fasted life, when you encounter these kind of things, you're not going to be prepared. What you see with your eyes and feel in your heart are going to overwhelm you and you're going to be more moved by what you see and hear and feel than by the Word of God. Amen? Fasting will help you with that. It will dial down the unbelief in your heart. If your flesh is not tamed, it will respond more to what it sees and feels than it will to the Word of God. And this is the essence of unbelief. Now, I want to point out that the disciples had already been given authority over demons by Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. We're talking about eight chapters earlier. He had already given them authority. And he said, he said to them, I give you power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Nothing was left out. Amen. And he didn't caveat that impartation by saying, except for fasting and prayer demons, when you encounter them, they're different. He didn't say that. And that's not what he meant. Jesus made it clear that the amount of faith was not the issue. It was the presence of unbelief in their hearts that was diluting their faith and making it ineffective. Amen. A mustard seed is about half the size of the sesame seed on your McDonald's hamburger bun. So it's a pretty small seed. So Jesus is saying, in effect, it's not the amount of faith that's the issue. It's the purity of the faith that's the issue. I, feel, I like to think about it like this. I feel like I at least have mustard seed faith on the inside of my heart. And I can use it unless I'm bottled up and overcome with unbelief. So instead of saying, you need to increase your faith, boys, so the next time you come across this, you'll be ready. He said, no, that's not the issue. What you need to do is you need to fast and pray, fast and pray as a lifestyle so that you can dial down the unbelief in your heart. In another account, the father says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. 
That means it's possible to have belief or faith in your heart and unbelief in your heart at the same time. And if your faith is going to be effective, the level of unbelief has to come down. And that's what fasting does. Everybody see that? It dials it down so your faith is more pure, so you can hear more readily from God and believe Him for great things when you pray. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. So I want to just camp here for just a second. Consider the disciples. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 19, you know, they came back to Jesus after they'd been fanned out all over Galilee and they were casting out devils. They were healing the sick. And they said to Jesus, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But don't rejoice that you have authority over them. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Okay. So they they had authority and they had success. And I believe this was probably the first time they were not able to cast the devil out of somebody. And it totally threw them. Now, why? Think about it. I think they were totally overwhelmed by what they saw and what they heard. They arrive at the scene after coming down from the transfiguration. Uh, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus arrive at the scene, and the rest of the disciples were not able to deal with this demonically possessed boy. So basically, they looked, and they saw, and they felt the presence of this demon. Think about it. The father said, he flops himself into the fire. He throws himself into the water. They probably left this part out, but epileptics are known to growl, grind their teeth, foam at the mouth. They looked at all of that, and it completely overwhelmed them. They put more stock in what they saw and heard than in God's authority that was given to them to cast out all manner of devils, unclean, deaf and dumb, whatever. Cast them out in my name. Everybody follow me. Immediately, I think of an application that we can apply to praying for America. We look at the state of our nation, the wickedness and and the outright kookiness of liberalism and secular humanism that seems to have successfully invaded every aspect of our society. And you wonder, how will our country ever recover? So one of the ways you can dial down the unbelief that's staring you in the face when you look at all these things is live a fasted life. Fast and pray. Fast and pray. I mean, I can't look at those things. I can't listen to those shows because it will generate unbelief in my heart. So I avoid it. Sometimes it's unavoidable. And we see these things and we, and we say in our hearts, how can these people be so blind and so stupid? But that's because you're born again and filled with the Holy Spirit and they're not. They're under the influence. They're under the influence of the spirit of the age. The Antichrist spirit has a complete hold on the culture of our day. Okay, so they can't help it. They don't know any better. So don't hate on them. Just pray for them. Don't look at all that and say our nation is lost. We've got inmates running the asylum. We might as well just pray for the rapture. Don't do that. That's unbelief. You know, don't put your rapture pack on just yet. We got work to do. We got work to do. Amen. 
I like what one preacher said. She said, don't put on your rapture pack. Take your pack off and put your crown on and start ruling and reigning in this life. Amen? That's a whole lot better than cowering in fear and storing up dried food and water and ammunition in the basement for when Antichrist consolidates his power. That's hardly a picture of the victorious church. We are to occupy till he comes. Amen. Glory to God. I'm a military guy, so that means a lot to me. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So, I want to talk about living a fasted life. There is a right way and a wrong way to fast. Isaiah 58, verse 1 through 5 in the New Living Translation. Shout with a voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why, I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? Amen. So the Lord is saying, if you're just going through the motions of fasting, and you're really just out to impress your friends that, oh, I've been on a seven-day fast, haven't had a thing to eat in seven days, you know, you're wasting your time. If you're just fasting to somehow impress God or let God see the suffering you're enduring to somehow twist his arm just enough that he'll release a little bit of blessing in your direction, your mindset and your attitude is completely wrong. That's not what fasting is all about. Amen. So if you're going to fast, there's a right way to fast and there's a wrong way to fast. And we just heard some of the wrong ways to fast. If you think that fasting somehow impresses God because you're going without eating, you're wasting your time. Amen. Fasting doesn't change God. Fasting changes you. You put the flesh down and the spirit rises to ascendancy. And that part of you that's just like God, your spirit man takes control and makes it easier for you to hear from God and to pray in faith. Amen. That's what fasting does. Pure and simple. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Jesus weighs in in the New Testament on fasting. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Amen. If you're going to go on a fast, 
it's okay to tell people, but just don't blow a trumpet and make a big deal about it. I'm on a five-day fast. Everybody join with me and rally behind me in faith. No, keep it to yourself, you know? You know, example come to my mind when you, you go out to eat with friends and you've been on a three-day fast. <laughs> you go out to eat because, you know, they just insisted that you go out, and so all you have is a drink. Are you okay? You don't want to eat? No, I'm, I'm fine. And then you finally have to say, look, I'm fasting. No big deal, but I'm going to let this one pass, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. But the other extreme is, you know, haven't washed my hair in three days, haven't lifted my razor, haven't eaten because I've been fasting. Jesus said, that's all the attention you're going to (laughs) get because he's not going to respond to that kind of a fast. Hallelujah. So don't fast so others will see how pious, how religious, and how dedicated you are, how willing you are to submit yourself to misery so that God will finally hear your prayers. Jesus said, if you fast with that motive or mindset, then the attention of others is all the reward you're ever going to get. Amen. Enough said. Amen. You guys are mature believers. You know about that. So finally, how long should we fast? How long should we fast? Here's my answer. You should fast as long as you're led to fast at the direction of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure there's some sort of equivalence in that the more you fast, the more results you get. I think it's more like you fast as you're led by the Holy Spirit, you'll get the results that you need. That's my personal belief. Okay. The longest I've ever fasted, by the way, in case anybody's wondering, is four days. That's the longest I've ever fasted. No, continuously without any food. Okay. There's another example of my fasting that I'll, I'll share with here in just a minute. So, the results of your fast are not necessarily tied to the length of time that you fast. And let me give you a couple of scriptural examples. Now, here's where we got, we're going to have to put our scripture hats on and let me read a bunch of scripture to you. Amen. Judges chapter 20, verse 20 through 40 in the New King James Version. This is an awesome story, but you have to pay attention. It's got some details in it. I'll give you a little bit of background. This is during the time of the judges, before the kings. And uh, the land was ruled by judges, and each tribe sort of had its own area and its own city that they dwelt in, okay? Benjamin lived in the city of Gibeah. And the men of Benjamin, there were some men in Benjamin in Gibeah that did a heinous crime. They basically, graphic here for just a second, they raped, beat up, murdered a man, a visitor, murdered his concubine, and so pretty heinous crime. When the other tribes heard about it, they were compelled by the Holy Spirit to bring judgment to Benjamin, okay, to attack their brethren because they would not give these men up that did this heinous crime. They would not give them up for justice. And the Lord said, I'm not having that. So God was behind his fellow brethren coming against the city of Gibeah and the tribe of Benjamin. Amen. So, that's the background. Verse 20, Judges twenty twenty, And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them at Gibeah. Then the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah. And on that day cut down to the ground 22,000 men of the Israelites. And the people, that is the men of Israel, encouraged themselves 
and again formed the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array on the first day. Then the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I again draw near for battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against him. Verse 24, So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day. And Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah on the second day and cut down to the ground 18,000 more of the children of Israel. All these drew the sword. Then all the children of Israel, that is, all the people, went up and came to the house of God and wept. Listen to this. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. Then Israel set men in ambush all around Gibeah. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day and put themselves in battle array against Gibeah as at other times. So the children of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. They began to strike down and kill some of the people, as at the other times, in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah, and in the field about 30 men of Israel. And the children of Benjamin said, They are defeated before us as at first. But the children of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. So all the men of Israel rose from their place and put themselves in battle array at Baal Tamar. They did a strategic retreat and they drew the forces of Benjamin away from their city. Then Israel's men in ambush burst forth from their position in the plain of Geba. In other words, the men that were surrounding the city, then they went to the city because it was now undefended. They drew the major army away from the city so their brethren could attack the city. And 10,000 select men from all Israel came against Gibeah, and the battle was fierce. But the Benjamites did not know that disaster was upon them. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites. All these drew the sword. So the children of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel had given ground to the Benjamites because they relied on the men in ambush, whom they had set against Gibeah. And the men in ambush quickly rushed upon Gibeah. The men in ambush spread out and struck the whole city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in ambush was that they would make a great cloud of smoke rise up from the city, whereupon the men of Israel would turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 of the men of Israel, for they said, Surely they are defeated before us, as in the first battle. But when the cloud began to rise from the city in a column of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them, and there was the whole city going up in smoke to heaven. Wow. Now that's a lot of scripture that we just read, but I believe it's worth it. Let me, let me break it down and summarize and, and tell you why this is such an awesome passage. Three times the Israelites attacked the Benjamite city of Gibeah. The first two times they got slaughtered. 
absolutely devastated. But the third time, they were spectacularly victorious. They defeated the Benjamite army and sacked and destroyed the city of Gibeah. What made the difference? Before the third attack, they fasted for just one day. Just one day. And they had that kind of victory. Fasting can help you do what you were unable to do before. Fasting can give you a plan for victory that you hadn't thought of before. Amen? Bottom line, when it comes to the length of your fast, don't be arbitrary. If you're already feeling led by the Holy Spirit to fast, then then go a step further and say, okay, Lord, if you want me to fast, how long do you want me to fast? What kind of fast do you want me to, to, to do? And the Lord will tell you. And you be obedient, and you follow him, and you pray and fast, and you watch and see what the Lord will do. Amen? Even if it's just fasting one meal a day, hear me out, or perhaps one day a week, it can be a very powerful way to purify your faith so that you hear more clearly from God and you have more faith when you pray. Amen? Let me give you a personal example. In the summer of 1987... I fasted and prayed just one meal a day for a period of about six weeks. I was seeking direction at a key juncture in my life, and I simply had to hear from the Lord. And it couldn't be broad guidance and direction. I needed specific guidance and direction. How many have been there? At the end of that six-week period where I just fasted one meal a day and prayed during that meal time. I heard from heaven, and I got a word from heaven, hear me out, that charted the course of my life for the next 22 years. One meal a day for six weeks. I'm sharing that with you to let you know it's not the length of the fast, it's not the type of the fast, it's obedience. That's what I felt led of the Spirit to do. The Lord was leading me to fast. I said, how do you want me to fast? He said, come home every day. I lived on base. We were stationed in Naval Air Station Corpus Christi. I would come home, I would kiss Trish, she would fix her lunch, and I would go to the back bedroom. Instead of eating, I would get on my knees, and I would pray in the Holy Ghost and pray for 30, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour, every day for six weeks. And I got a breakthrough. I heard from heaven. It changed my whole life. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A word of caution concerning fasting. I hear about people who go on lengthy fast. Some people try to imitate Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and they'll declare a 40-day fast. Okay? I would say be very, very careful. If you're not living a fasted lifestyle, be very careful about jumping into a, a very lengthy fast like that. First of all, I want to point out that, yes, Moses, Jesus, and Elijah all did 40-day fast, but if you read it and study it out, they were all supernaturally prepared for a 40-day fast they were led of the spirit they were sustained of the spirit to do a 40-day fast it is not a normal thing so be careful if you go into a lengthy fast like that you could end up damaging your health so just be careful i think the best and safest policy is say lord i feel like i should fast how do you want me to begin and how do you want me to fast how long do you want me to fast you know there's other type of fast besides just going without food how about this no news whether in print 
or internet or on the TV for a week. That'll clear your mind right up. I'm telling you what, you'll be like talking to the mountains after that. You know, if you watch news 24-7, whether it's on the conservative side or the liberal side, either way, it's going to weigh you down and you're going to be mad at somebody. You know, don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to yourself. This, This is in the hands of the Lord. Again, I say when you fast and pray for America, fast and pray that righteousness, truth, and justice will prevail in this nation. So I want to conclude by asking you to to seek the Lord in the coming weeks and months and ask him how you could live a fasted life. I think that's a pretty good routine to get into. Maybe pick a meal a week. If you're really a, a foodie and it's tough, pick one meal a week and just fast and pray instead of eating. If you can handle it, maybe one meal a day. But just ease into it as the Lord leads and directs. Amen? I think you'll see astounding results in your personal life and also for the nation. I'm going to be fasting and praying in the coming weeks and months about the nation, about the November elections. Right now, I'm fasting and praying about the uh, Supreme Court confirmation. I'm telling you, there is a battle for the soul of America, and we need to pray in those confirmation hearings. Again, if you want to zero out the politics and get you know, cut to the chase, then pray that in these confirmation hearings that righteousness, truth, and justice prevail. You pray like that, you can't go wrong. Amen. So let's fast and pray for America. Amen? Amen. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed Part 5 of today's message titled, Tools of Prayer for America. If you would like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington 